This is Mission Control Houston. Ignition sequence start. The reason I'm prepared for this position is because I've been preparing for this all my life. Our goal is to compete and, and really put a fun team on the court that really gets after it. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. We're very talented. I mean, we go out there and compete at a high level and give a lot of effort. We can be a good team. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What is up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, another Saturday edition episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every single day. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and the founder slash managing editor of ClutchCityControlRoom.com, your home for all things Houston hoops. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets and also the blog at ClutchCityCRN. Joining us today is fellow Houston Hoops head and contributor for Clutch City CR as well, Stanford KP Karthik. How are you doing, man? I'm good, Jackson. Hanging in there. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to talk some uh, Rockets hoops with you. Unfortunately, we've got a little bit of you know bad news that we've got to address here mm-hmm. right out of the gate, and that is the fact that Christian Wood has hurt his right ankle again. So the second time in as little as two weeks. So obviously the first time injured it, sidelined him for three games. He came back and then he had that moment where he re-aggravated it. Um, And I can't exactly remember which game that happened in, but he had that moment uh, where he kind of re-aggravated that right ankle a little bit, was was moving kind of gingerly on it. And then most recently against the Grizzlies early in the third quarter, it's just terrible right ankle sprain again. Now we do know Thankfully, that it's not, you know, there's no ligament damage, there's nothing like that, but that it is, a, you know, a pretty brutal looking right ankle sprain. So I'm expecting him, you know, to be out for at a minimum three weeks, um, probably three to four weeks, given the fact that the all star break is kind of right around the corner. And I guess that leads us into this point where we're at this very awkward crossroads for this Rockets team where. Right, KP? Like, this would be almost like the the perfect excuse for this team to tank away this season. You know, and that would that would make a lot of people happy, the people who wanted to tank in the first place after the James Harden situation happened. But I also think that Rafael Stone could view this as an opportunity to try and reload on the fly a little bit. And because they're they're in this position where if they want to remain competitive, you can't just have Boogie Cousins as your only big for the next month, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think what they'll do is, at least for the next couple of games, um, tread water with Boogie. But I, I think this this injury to Christian Wood might accelerate their plans to fill out the roster, especially in our bigs. I mean, we, we've talked about the need for a, another, you know, four or five guy that can that can really um, be a versatile play, playmaker and kind of help defensively. And I, I think they can find that guy, whether um, – via trade or uh, free agent signing. So I, I think they might look at just speeding up the clock there a little bit. Um, but I think first they'll see how the, how the team is doing. I mean, the schedule is okay. I mean, it, it they can tread water. Um, but, you know, you're right. It's it's kind of a weird moment for this to go down. Um, but, you know, thankfully it, it, it is kind of a three-week injury in my, in my book. And, and so at least there's some kind of hope that, you know, Christian Wood can come back hopefully before the all-star break, hopefully get get good through the all-star break and then the team can really hit its stride no matter what. It's going to be hard to tank. 
the reason I think it's hard to tank is, you know, what when he comes back, what are you going to do, right? And, and and simply the team will be good enough unless they just they really trade everyone away. I don't, I just don't see that happening. And and I was never in that boat of you know or on that side of the aisle I should say of you know this team should tank immediately after the the Harden trade happened. Um, that just you know it's almost never really my bag to to want to you know intentionally lose because I think there's a de- there is a distinct difference between actively you know directed you know tanking and you know just not being good enough and kind of failing organically. And like tanking is bad because tanking is the actual goal of putting out bad players, trading away the good ones, you know, accumulating assets. And you're just watching a really terrible product go on every single night. Whereas, you know, if you're just putting out a young, you know, a young group, a young group of players who are, you know, developing and trying to find their rhythm together and and growing and all that stuff, then you're, you're still going to have, you know, a modicum of success doing that. But actively tanking is just such a painful experience for both fans, for the players, for the organization. It's just, I I don't think it's the right move. And so far, Rafael Stone hasn't shown us anything that, that shows that he's planning on tanking. So I'm grateful for that. Um, And it is important to note that even in this, you know, treading water scenario for the Rockets until they potentially find another big, uh, like you said, whether free agency or whether via trade to kind of help bolster the front court for this team. It's important to note that Boogie Cousins actually performed pretty well in his Mm -hmm. little short three-game sample size as the starting center for this team. He averaged 17 points on, you know, 40% shooting from the floor. You'd like to see that number up higher a little bit, but he did average over 40% from behind the arc as a starter, uh, was averaging 14 rebounds a game, five assists a game, a steal, a block. Like, he looked almost like vintage Boogie when he was the starter, and so hopefully in in Seawood's absence, this could be almost like a bit of a blessing in disguise where, you know, Cousins ever since getting shifted back to the bench. Again, he's looked good in stretches, but he's also really, really struggled, um, specifically around the rim, but he's just had moments where he hasn't looked great. And so maybe this can be the boost or the the opportunity that he needs to get himself right over the span, over a much larger span of three weeks to a month rather than just a little three-game sample. Yeah, and, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about how Boogie plays really well with John Wall. And so just by putting him in the starting lineup, you're kind of ticking up the number of minutes in which John and, and Boogie share the floor. Um, so, you know, I, I think that'll give them both kind of some good, you know, extra, extra motivation, if you will, to kind of play well. And, you know, Boogie's been motivated and I think he, he catches a rhythm better if he starts um, and he kind of has a comfort level with, with John to kind of play his game. So, that does give me hope, um, but then the question becomes, you know, what what happens now in the the backup five position, and and do they bring in and kind of give KJ Martin another opportunity in the in the meantime? He actually looked pretty decent in stretches um, in that three game sample as well. So can they give him kind of a limited run, limited action, maybe rely on some of the smaller ball just a tick more? I mean, you could see this team scrapping its way for the next five or six games. Um, it's really just kind of do they do they want reinforcements after that? Because I think Christian Wood will be gone probably in my estimation, I don't know, twelve or thirteen games. And so they just kinda of have to look at that and say, How do we make the best of those in, in terms of opportunities? But uh you're absolutely right. I mean Boogie Boogie looked good in the starting lineup. I think it rejuvenates him, gives him energy, and most importantly pairs him more with uh, John Wall. 
And I'm so glad you bring up the the John Wall element because that's exactly the little rabbit hole that I want to dive into next after we get in a quick message from our friends over at betonline.ag. Super Bowl Sunday is less than 48 hours away. The NBA season is in full swing with a great slate of games every single night. And Major League Baseball is right around the corner. And there is only one place that has you covered for all your betting needs. And one place that we here at Locked on Rockets trust. And that is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for your very own 50% welcome bonus with your your very first deposit. Look, don't sit on the sidelines anymore. It's time for you to get in on the action. And don't forget that promo code locked on L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with Karthik Prasad. Now, KP, As far as John Wall goes, first off, I think that we got a little bit of uh, kind of some interesting information, um, and I I say this, you know, I I said it a little bit too optimistically given what the information was, so we found out that John Wall didn't play in the first night of the back-to-back because he was actually attending his grandmother's funeral, so that in and of itself, you know, I I wish John Wall the best and that, you know, obviously that is a a sad situation. Yeah. But given the, I guess, the the way that that impacts the overall basketball element and what that means moving forward is I think that we can kind of discern from that that I think John Wall's actually not planning to sit out on back-to-backs. Do you think that's a fair assessment there? Because his he didn't come in and say, oh, I'm not, I, I didn't play because I am sitting out back-to-backs. He said, I'm not, I didn't play because I, uh, you know, I was attending a funeral. And so to me, I, I'm kind of, almost taking away that that meaning is that if he hadn't been attending a funeral, he would have played on Wednesday night. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it was certainly interesting to, to hear that. Um, <clears throat> at the very least, I think the options open, you know, I, I think uh, they, they are doing their best to manage him back. I think we saw some of the early warning signs in terms of his knee, like the extra load. So they'll have to be careful. Um, but if he's feeling good, maybe, maybe this opens the door that, you know, he doesn't have to automatically sit on back-to-backs. You know, the other thing that I did see happen, um, I think on Thursday was, I think his back tightened up. And so I think, you know, he's he's probably at a, at a, at a point in the season where he's catching a rhythm, he's feeling good basketball-wise in terms of thinking and, and playing. And uh, But I think his body's going to have to catch up a little bit. And they're going to have to, <laughs> they're going to have to make sure he, he stays disciplined on kind of the recovery and, and maybe, maybe have to, rest him a little extra than he wants to, which I'm totally fine with. I trust that process. Uh, but it's, it's, it's clear that he's playing well and he wants to play, um, which is what I took out of that. And as far as, you know, it's such an interesting element, the whole, you know, argument of you know resting back-to-backs, that kind of thing, versus just, I guess, overall load management with minutes. And mm-hmm. I wonder what the – and I'm sure somebody somewhere out there who is much smarter than myself has done the actual research on how, you know, beneficial it is to rest and in the entirety of one game and then go essentially, you know, all out on another game, say, you know, a regular 30, 35-minute night where you're not, you know, pulling any punches versus – playing say 20 to 25 minutes in each game and you know having a a smaller minutes cap on you know say a set of back-to-backs because and I kind of you know 
go this direction because what we're seeing with John Wall is he has such an incredible impact on this team, both offensively and defensively. This team just looks night and day better when he is on the floor versus when he is not. And I've had some people in my mentions kind of saying, oh, well, it's just, you know, the Rockets need to go out and get, you know, a backup point guard, you know, better, you know, somebody who's a a true facilitator. I'm like, I don't even think that that's it. Like, I don't necessarily think that, I mean, obviously I think that that would probably help things, kind of grease the wheels a little bit when John Wall is out or, you know, when he takes a seat, having a true backup point guard, somebody who can facilitate the offense similar to the way that he does. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's just something about his, I don't know, his gravitas, his, his leadership, whatever it may be, the team just takes on or has taken on his personality, his, you know, just everything about him. And I think when he's out there, it, it, it really does help them, and it and it helps on both sides of the floor. It's not just limited to the offensive end, although we've you know I've thrown up numbers on Twitter talking about how much better the team is offensively with John Wall out there, but even defensively, when he's out there, they just have this edge to them that feels missing when he is gone, and I don't necessarily think that that can be... I don't want to say that it can't be replicated, but I think that that can only be alleviated by having him out there more. And that kind of sucks as an answer. So maybe you have a different direction that you want to take that, but that's just kind of where I'm at is, you know, best availability is availability. And unfortunately, when he's not out there, the team just doesn't look as good. Yeah. So, I mean, in my, in my view, is you know, John, John's had an incredible, I totally agree, an incredible impact on the team. And I, and I break down a couple ways. One is <clears throat> I think he's able to play his game, right? So, you know, the team has confidence that when he's on the floor, he's able to do anything he wants to do, shoot, drive, score, pass, whatever it is. Um, but the second thing I've noticed is, to your point around the gravitas, the leadership is, he's decisive, right? So he, as soon as he gets the ball, he's directing traffic, he's telling people what to do, he's, he's kind of instilling that confidence. He's making decisions on the floor for the team. And that's something that comes with experience. It comes with age. It comes with maturity, right? And and it, and it really, in my you know my observation, of the game happens around this age 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 range, around thirty, where like the game is slowed down for him. I know he's been out, but he knows exactly what he wants to do on the floor. And being decisive, and the teammates kind of seeing that and knowing exactly what to do, really just calms them down. And you'll notice that, you know. When he's out, I think there's just a little bit more of insecurity, a little bit more of indecisiveness, and that kind of mucks up the game. But when you have someone who's kind of saying, hey, guys, we're going to do this right now, uh, people fall fall quickly into into place. And I think you know, it's a function of his both his, his personality as a leader, but also his kind of age, maturity, experience to say, this is what I think we got to do on the floor and be an extension of the coach. And so um, it's, it's, it's a – a really impressive, you know, better than advertised, I think, impact um, on, on his game. And, and, you know, we'll see now kind of with, with Christian Wood out too, how he steps up. I think there's even, he can be even more aggressive on the offensive end. But, uh, I, you know, to your point then on how do you manage that? Yeah, I, I, I think there's a couple of things they got to think about. One is back-to-backs are, are especially annoying if there's travel in between. And I think the travel actually impacts these guys health-wise as much as the playing. Like if, if you had a back-to-back where you're in the same location, I actually think it might be okay to play uh, just because you're, you're, you're keeping your body in that state of kind of prep, strength, play, right? And that, I think that, I don't know, I just, I, I found that my, 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 my hypothesis is that the travel is doing some weird things too. 
um, because it's not as predictable as it was in years past. Um, but anyway, I, I think they'll have to manage that and, and figure out, you know, what's best for John. How is his body responding? They've got now 20, 23 games of data um, and just to see, you know, how, how best they can manage his, his, um, his overall health. And then, and then, but I do think on the court, you still probably want to keep him in the 30, the low 30s on average um, with the opportunity to play him more if he's needed. But what I don't want them to do is kind of burn him now as he's still strengthening, you tell he's kind of still strengthening and finding his, his, his balance and things. Um, but it's just such an incredible impact. And, and, that, and that's just been really a pleasant sight to see. And you can tell how it impacts the whole team. Absolutely. And, you know, you bring up some really amazing points there. And, and I, kind of my follow-up to that is it doesn't even necessarily like, it doesn't even require him to necessarily have a good game for him to still have that gigantic impact on the team because I brought up after the the Grizzlies game that his box score doesn't actually look that impressive after the game. Just 6 of 17 shooting, he had the 22 points, he did manage to shoot 4 of 9 from behind the arc, and his 3-point shooting has been an absolutely welcome surprise, you know, and for, mm-hmm. for those of us who, you know, kind of did the research and paid attention to, you know, what his recovery process was like, he could only, you know actively practice set shots when he was initially starting his rehab. And so that played into or has played into why his three-point shot has looked so much better to start the season. And not only that, but he's finally got those bone spurs taken care of from his from his feet. So he's really, truly healthy for the first time in his career. And but But back to his box score, I mean, he had the eight assists, but he also, you know, turned it over seven different times. So it's like, you know, you're looking at his box score, and it's like, yeah, he had an okay game. You know, you'd like him to be more efficient. He turned the ball over a lot. But as a team, just, you know, the eye test says that they just play so much better out there when when he's out there on the court. And another element of that is, you know, you talk about him getting people in the right spots, doing the right things, you know, kind of orchestra, really, again, being that floor general. I really feel like he does the most, the, the most adept job at actually – realizing who needs the ball and when, right? If, if EG's yeah. got it going, he's, he's you know, calling out plays and, and lining things up for EG to get, you know, get the ball going downhill or get a wide-open three-pointer off a flare screen. Same thing for C. Wood. If C. Wood's got it, got it going or Oladipo, he understands who to facilitate to and win over the course of a game. And he also knows when he needs to be aggressive. And I think that's the really cool, like, he's got that switch that he can flip when he realizes, okay, you know, I need to be in facilitator mode or, okay, I'm going to be aggressive John Wall mode now. And I think that's just been a really wonderful takeaway um, and kind of a nice, you know, after after going years of James Harden, right, having another guy who can step in, and albeit it's not quite to the, you know, level that Harden can do it at, but to have another guy be able to step in and kind of fill those shoes and be that dominant playmaker but also be a force scoring the basketball when needed when you really need a bucket, that's been kind of a welcome surprise with John Wall. Yeah, and just two, two quick things to add. I mean, the, the other piece is he does control the pace, you know, as a part of that. Um, you know, we saw last year that Russ, I mean, a part – Part of, I think, the fans' kind of love-hate relationship with Russ was he kind of was a one-pace guy, right? But but John knows exactly, I mean, and he's more of a traditional point guard. We talked about it before the season. He can control the pace. When, when the game needs to slow down, when they need to manage possessions, when they need to get a good shot, um, he's doing that, and I think that's a big thing. The other thing is just simple knock-on effects of EG being able to predictably come off the bench, um, I think, is just another thing because – you know, in addition to John, Eric Gordon's in that same kind of age, maturity, experience level. He knows exactly what he's on the floor to do. 
and just having that clarity it has really produced helped him produce. Hey, EG's, um, EG so. is on the court to have fun. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> He's having a lot of fun, and especially on the bench. Let me tell you, I mean, it's awesome to see. But I think, yeah, that, that combo of Wall being able to start, EG having clarity on the six-man role, I think really helps the team um, on a number of in a number of ways. All right. Well, coming up, I want to discuss a guy that we haven't spoken about. We've mentioned his name a couple times here, but I want to talk a little bit about Victor Oladipo and what this mm-hmm. Rockets team potentially wants to do moving forward with him. And we'll get, you know, we'll have some ideas surrounding that. We'll get there in just a quick moment after a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Let's talk protein bars for a quick second. All right. Look, I before I found Built Bar, I was not a big protein bar fan. Now that I found Built Bar, I love my protein bars. I look forward to eating protein bars. And and have you never been able to say that? Have you never been able to say, I look forward to eating protein bars? It's time to check out Built Bar. They've got 18 amazing flavors, the 12 OG flavors, some of their new fancy flavors. They've got the carrot cake, cookies and cream, caramel brownie, my favorite, one of the OGs, the double chocolate. You cannot go wrong with it. And the reason why, right, is these bars are covered in one. 100% delicious chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew. They're not gritty or chalky like some of the other protein bars on the market. They're great for the health conscious person, whether you're trying to lose weight, maintain weight, kind of where you're at. They're low cal, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing for a keto diet. And you can check them out. Just go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's L O C K E D O N. And you'll get 20% off your very next order. So again, that's promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. Quick message from our friends over at rockauto.com. Look, chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, which doesn't really seem fair, right? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they're always reliably low. They always offer the lowest possible prices rather than changing their prices around based on what the market will bear, kind of like what airlines do. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even brand new carpet. So whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, you can get everything, and I mean everything, that you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And be sure, this is the super important part, be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Chatting with Karthik Prasad, contributor for Clutch City Control Room. Now, KP, let's talk Victor Oladipo here for a second because the Rockets have this very unique, interesting situation with him where I I really don't, I mean, it's still, we're still on a very small sample size of Oladipo. Unfortunately, he's only played, uh, what is it? Let me double check right now. Do my math. Um, if basketball reference will actually load, there it is. He's only played eight games with the Rockets. And so far it's been kind of, I don't want to say it's been all, it hasn't been all great. It hasn't been all bad, but I mean, I'm at this spot where I'm not I'm not fully convinced he should be in the Rockets' long-term future. And I feel like that's just kind of where I'm sitting right now. He hasn't shown me anything that makes me think, wow, I'd really like to see that. Well, no pun intended. Um, but uh, he, hasn't sh- he hasn't shown me anything where I'm looking, like, looking at him like, man, the Rockets need to not let this guy get away. Like, they need to lock him down with a contract. Um, they need to, you know, re-up with a deal with him this summer. And he needs to be a part of the long-term future. Where are you at regarding Oladipo so far? Eight games in. I I still really like his skill set. 
And I think a lot of the discontinuities we've had over the eight games have contributed to his up and down performance. Like we've, we've had Christian Wood, we haven't had Christian Wood. And we know that Oladipo looks better with Christian Wood. Um, we, we've had John Wall, we haven't had John Wall. And we know that um, Oladipo is better when he can be a kind of a secondary playmaker. And I, I don't know, I'm willing to give him another 10 to 15 games, I think. I mean, we ha- we'll have that before the, tra- the trade deadline, the all-star break, et cetera. Um, because I, I think the identity of the team is that, and I, and I tweeted about this yesterday, they, they can really pressure the ball and, and, and swarm and disrupt. And having four or five guys being able to do that, Oladipo has just – he's just an incredible defensive player. If you really just watch him possession possession, he sprints back on transition. He guards the opponent's best player. He can stick with bigs on switches if he needs to. Um, just just a, a truly multifaceted defensive player. And I think the team has an identity. And I kind of don't want to chip away at that if, if we're trying to stay competitive, if we're trying to build a culture. Um, but that being said, you know, the reality is if, it, if it's still a question mark, 10 to 15 games in the future, and you have a contender like Miami, Den- Denver, whoever, that's offering real value, potentially even a, a coveted young player, then I think you probably do it. Because unless Victor just says, hey, like extend me and then we'll worry about trading later, um, I think he... That, that would be the path. So they really have a couple of paths. One is he, he starts to take off Steve value and they both sides say, Hey, there's something here. Let's, let's sign an extension. Or it's, you know, there, you know, a, a team that could be, is a, a Oladipo away from taking the next step offers you real value. Um, and, and then you take it. But I, I think it needs more time. If you just look back at the, the nature of the last eight games, it's been kind of, I mean, the team has just had different compositions, and it's hard for a guy to just um, step in full speed. And we've seen flashes of, of him putting it together, but it will take time, I think. It's just he, he is a great, like, second or third scorer, but an, to me, at least, an elite perimeter defensive player, and I think it's worth figuring out how you make someone like that work. work. Now, the other, the other ideas I've heard is, you know, why can't we – trade him for a better, like, pure score. Like, in, in a world where you could attach picks or something and get Zach Levine, that kind of player, where you know exactly he's an elite, efficient scorer. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think it, cha- it would change the identity, right? And that's something that we've got to talk about. I mean, this team, they swarm the ball. They disrupt. They're a big reason why they're the second-best defense in the NBA, right? And so I'm just hesitant right now. I think he's a bigger part of that than we, than we realize. Yeah, and I think I think to your point about the the defensive identity of this team, that's absolutely you know the identity that they have uh, you know adopted and and molded themselves to, and by replacing one of the one of the factors in what has gotten to that point in you know if you just do let's just pretend we do a clean a clean switch Oladipo for Zach Levine, you know disregarding whatever pieces you know or, or assets would be involved in the trade suddenly you now have you know kind of a weak link defensively that's not to say that Zach Levine is a is a super horrendous defender but he's not nearly the caliber of defender that Oladipo is and the key thing about this this defense and especially really I want to say positions one through four about you know mm-hmm. and I feel like 
I feel like Christian Wood gets a little bit more slack at the five spot um, because just the way that they, their scheme looks at times, you know, utilizing a little bit of drop coverage here and there, that kind of thing. He's not always actively involved in the perimeter defense, but positions one through five on this team have been plus defenders ever since the Harden trade. I mean, you go down the entire yeah. line, you've got Wall, Gordon, uh, Oladipo, uh, House, Brown, uh, Nwaba, Tucker. Like, I mean, just every every single body is a plus defender on this team. And then you get to the, the five spot where they've got Seawood and Boogie, who, you know, those two guys, we've seen strides from Christian Wood, and I, I've been impressed by his growth on that side of the basketball so far to this point. Mm-hmm. And then Boogie himself, even though he's got his limitations physically, he's still a smart defender. He still makes good reads. He's got good hands. Um, he gets a really unfavorable whistle, and it's it's <laughs> the most painful thing. He really does try to step up and take the occasional charge and make the right move, the right play, and he just can't buy a damn call, which is the most frustrating thing. But, you know, again, they they do what they can for their position and, and given some of their limitations, whether it be awareness or just experience on Christian Wood's behalf and then DeMarcus Cousins, some of his physical limitations. So if you do make that clean switch, it does, I completely agree, it does change the identity of the team. And I am not sold on that being the right move. I'm not sold on if that identity suddenly shifts. Is, you know, is Zach Levine... You know, the, the hypothetical that we're running, is his offensive output and his efficiency on the offensive end worth it to sacrifice that defensive identity that they've kind of cultivated to this point? And I think that's the tough call, you know, and I don't know. I really don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to do it. And you just kind of have to like, right, you just got to roll the dice if it's on the table and see if it pans out. But obviously they've got, you know, Stone has an entire, you know, team of, of, of guys crunching numbers and running stats and, you know, figuring things out. But feel of the game, just kind of looking at it, I'm torn. I'm I'm straddling the fence on it. Are you leaning more one way or the other, or are you kind of in the same boat as me? Yeah, uh, I think I'm in the same boat. And I mean, ultimately, though, it's going to come down to the trade deadline because I don't think they're they're moving Oladipo before that because they everyone gets more information the more Oladipo plays. So no one's going to be in a rush in the next month to trade them before the deadline. The deadline will create urgency, and as we know. You know, Oladipo is an expiring contract, right? You don't, what the Rockets don't want to do is necessarily is you lose him for nothing. And, and so that's where I think the conversation will happen. But if he's very clear in saying, I'm not resigning here, or I don't think there's a good chance that I'm resigning here, they'll have to move him, which kind of will, it'll be interesting to see what they get back because, you know, in that, in that scenario, then sure, an elite offensive player or being able to, you know, add value and, get an elite offensive player is good. Uh, but I think that the Rockets also could explore getting young player and, and adi- young players and additional assets as well. So I just, I, I think they're hoping that there's some kind of long-term way in which, you know, a, a two-year extension or something really opens up flexibility for both sides and also allows this team to be competitive at a reasonable, you know, price tag for the depot. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. And I, I'm, I'm not ready to give up on them though, for sure. And, and I think that's probably the the best way to play it, and it's it's almost a very uh, it's a very Rafael Stone esque way to play it, right? You, there's not enough data yet. We've got another ten to fifteen games, give or take, to kind of evaluate and assess where we're at with Victor Oladipo. And so at this point, Rafael Stone has done nothing to have me question his ability as the GM yet. I've been blown away by him. I think you have as well as many others yeah. have been. So I think ultimately he's going to make the right move, and you know it it could just be. 
he makes a move that none of us have predicted, right? Like he he flips yeah. Oladipo, but for like another player that we had that was not anywhere near on our radar, and we're like, how did he, you know, but like rabbit out of a hat style? Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. It is worth noting that uh, unfortunately, right? You mentioned it earlier that. Victor Oladipo just looks better with C. Wood out there, and unfortunately, that might have an adverse impact on his ability over these next 10 to 15 games, you know, trying to uh, either play up his trade value or, or whatever. Um, you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's not an element that we'll get to, you know, utilize in our analysis of how he's playing on this team and, and whether or not he is worth that long-term contract or whether they need to deal him. So that part kind of sucks, but that's out of their control, uh, unfortunately. Now, there's a couple other things that I want to get to before we get out of here, but before I, ch- I dive into this last little topic, I want to give you a chance, KP, if there's anything that we haven't tackled quite just yet that you might want to address or bring up. Um, no, just the, just a shout out to uh, Jay Sean Tate, because I feel like of all the names we've uttered uh, on this podcast so far, I mean, that, that man has been playing just some really inspired, incredible basketball, and I think like just we should be saying it every day how like ridiculous it is to find that caliber of a player overseas and just immediate immediate impact um i don't know if i've seen that type of transaction or or thing play out the way it has so um jay sean tate just deserves a a big big shout out uh, but other than that i'm good <laughs> I, no I, I i'm in full agreement with you on the jay sean tate train um you know and it's I, I said very early on like i think like a couple games into the season or something uh did a quick shout out to rafael stone where it's just dude i mean he he has christian wood finessed from the pistons and locked down for three years under sign and trade and you know pulled jay sean tate from overseas and got him locked down on a three-year deal as well and that's again that's that's two-fifths of your starting lineup for the future Mm -hmm. you know they're both 25 years old they both got you know tons of room to still improve and the fact that they're both already so good right now with still plenty of potential left to reach uh you know a, a very high ceiling for both of those players it's great for this rockets franchise moving forward because it's been a long time since we've had that infusion of youth and that ability to look forward to a player's growth because most recently, right, there was Clint Capella. And I love Clint Capella, love everything that he did for the Rockets, but he had a very limited ceiling. You know, you you could see the end of the tunnel with Clint Capella. You could see where he was going to kind of max out at and what he was capable of, unfortunately. Whereas with C. Wood and with Jay Shantate, there's still so much more room for those guys to improve their games and get even better. And the fact that they're already this good and have have that, you know, that track left to run is a very exciting thing for Rockets fans. So I'm in full agreement with you there on the Jay Shantate train as the unofficial official president of the Jay Shantate fan club (laughs) right there with you, man. Um, so let, let's get into these last couple points that I want to bring up. Um, so the first way, and they're both, we are back to, hang on, I'll, I'll get my voice nice and I don't know, I don't know what voice I'm going to do for this. We're back to the cryptic Houston Rockets social media posts. There we go. Um, so we had Ben McLemore who, uh, you know, not long after the, uh, Grizzlies game Thursday evening posted a tweet that said that gut feeling exclamation point question mark and then with the thinking emoji kind of rubbing the chin and he soon deleted it after it was posted yeah so i'm i'm basically at this point where i i'm i am 103 percent sure that ben mclemore is is on the way out in some capacity at the deadline it just kind of remains to be seen what return the rockets get for him do you think that's a fair assessment given uh, the cryptic uh social media posting on his behalf 
I think so. Um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot. I mean, if, if we can see it fairly clearly, I can't imagine others don't, especially kind of the Houston front office wise. Right. I mean, I, I just want Ben to succeed. And I, don't, I the way the team is constructed, their identity, the way they play doesn't give him a chance to shine. And I think it could make sense for both, both parties to just find a place where a, the Rockets get value back and, and B, you know, a team adds a shooter that they can really use um, in, in terms of how they play. And so, you know, hopefully hopefully it's like a, a win-win scenario, in which case he can really find, it, you know, his next home. Um, but, you know, the other, the other piece is who knows, right? Like with Christian Wood now being out, probably an extra spot in the rotation, probably some more minutes, probably some more small ball minutes. Does he kind of at least regain some shooting rhythm? Maybe, um, but it, yeah, given that he tweeted that, <laughs> deleted it, I think there's probably some signal to him that he, he he's not in the long-term plans, at least for this season and beyond, and and that, that has to be frustrating for him right now, but I'm hoping that it works out in a way that he can succeed in his next home. You know, and, and it sucks because I was, you know, championing Ben McLemore this entire offseason. I really thought that he was going to be a big part of what the Rockets were going to try and accomplish this next season. He is an elite shooter. He's good at what he does. But they don't have the same system. They don't have the same identity anymore. And I do think that if you put him in a situation where he has another, um, you know, star player who can generate the easy looks that he needs as a shooter to really yeah. thrive, you know, whether that be a LeBron type or a Luka Doncic type or, you know, hell, the Nets. So I don't know. I don't know. Just where, wherever he can go, right, where there is a, a star or two, uh, the Clippers might be a good situation. I hate to send him somewhere out west, especially if the Rockets still have playoff aspects aspirations um but again getting him somewhere where he can be that elite shooter get some off ball movement going you know and it's just the where he doesn't hurt the identity of the team as far from a defensive standpoint and I think this is actually I just kind of had a light bulb moment where we were talking about Zach Levine earlier right and and the unknown of what happens if you pull him into that role in place of Victor Oladipo I think we kind of have a smaller glimpse maybe not a full glimpse at what that would look like because Ben McLemore and uh, Zach Levine are very different offensive players, but as far as how that could be potentially detrimental to the team's identity, as far as their yeah. their newly cultivated newly cultivated defensive identity, that's why Ben McLemore hasn't seen a lot of court time is because he is a negative asset defensively. I do think he's kind of. He kind of took a little bit of a step back defensively. I really felt like in the bubble, he played a lot better on that side of the basketball to the point where he was never going to be a plus defender, but wasn't, you know, was making the right reads, was was communicating, wasn't blowing defensive assignments. There were even possessions uh, in the Lakers series where he had to check LeBron James and did, you know, didn't do a poor job of it. Like, I mean, you know, so... Yeah, I, I do think that that kind of might be a bit of a glimpse into, you know, the thinking, I guess, moving forward with this team is they want two way players. You know, they don't want to bring in somebody who's going to be a defensive liability and kind of crater this newfound identity that they've discovered. Um, and my other point to bring up was another cryptic Houston Rockets social media post. And this one I don't think is as cryptic, but PJ Tucker did put something on his Instagram that said something to the effect of uh, rainy weather lunch, then off to the meeting with uh, a, you know, shh emoji and like the, the icy chill, you know, emoji, the Paul Wall emoji. Um, and uh, I don't know what to buy from that one. 
Um, I don't know if that means that there's a P.J. Tucker trade on the way or maybe it's just a, a business deal on the side that he's got going on. But um, it's definitely intriguing, to say the least, given that there's been a lot of buzz surrounding P.J. Tucker. And, uh, you know, I don't know where you're at on this, KP. I'd, I'd personally like to see him stay a Houston Rocket. I'd like to see them extend him and just keep him on board, you know, especially with this young core of guys. Um, I don't think extending P.J. Tucker really hurts your chances, um, and I think it would earn a lot of goodwill between, obviously, Tucker and the organization, but also potentially future, you know, veterans who want to come here and see, oh, they did right by by their veteran in P.J. Tucker, that kind of thing. But where, where are you at with, with Tucker and his situation right now and, and what the Rockets should do with him moving forward? Yeah. Well, one, I think the tweet had more to, or the, the Instagram post had more to do with his business feelings. Because um, I think right after that, it referenced his uh, his new eyeglass deal, and, and I think it, I think there were some similar emojis used. So I'm, at least that's how I choose to read that one. But you know, he, he's working on some cool things. So selective um, cryptic reading. I see. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but in terms of his situation, you know. I think again, it kind of is kind of similar to the Oladipo one, where expiring deal. If the team's in a good position and you're starting to see how they could this this collective team identity, et cetera, could be competitive and have a pretty cool playoff run, I think you keep them. And then because you know, at the very least, Tucker gets a chance to pick his next destination, which I think actually has a lot of value for him. Um, Right now, if, if, you know, that being said, if there's a place that PJ wants to go and is a contender and is able, able to offer us some value, you know, for example, Philadelphia and the team, our team is kind of in a middle middling situation where, you know, it wouldn't really change our fortunes either way. Then I think you, you just make sure that you, you send him to a place where he can compete and he potentially has a longer term fit. Cause I think, you know, I, what I don't want to do is just trade them for the sake of getting something back and have it be somewhere where, you know, he's not really happy or, or has a real chance of winning. Something like Minnesota, I think, would fall in that category where, like, we're essentially putting him in purgatory at that point. Um, I, and so I, I hope we, if we do move him, we send him to a contender that can give us something of value. But I do think there's real value to both sides of actually playing it out because, um, he really would get to pick his next spot and kind of stay on the horizon. A lot of teams will have cap space. It's not necessarily like he won't be able to get kind of a one-in-one deal or something in a pretty high dollar amount, but he'd be able to at least say, hey, I want to join this contender or whatever and, um, and, and be happy with that level of agency. So that's how I'm currently feeling on, on PJ. That being said, the, the only other path that could open up is if him and Oladipo – you know, you're talking 28 million in outgoing salary it could bring you back some kind of bigger fish um, or a different type of like expiring deal, right? Um, someone like even even if that was someone like Otto Porter could could actually be a decent fit for both sides in the sense that it it kind of still clears the deck, but still keeps the team competitive, but potentially allows them to get Otto plus some assets if they you know if it's a three team deal or something. There's some other paths like that where you combine PJ with a player, I just don't want to trade him for the sake of trading him um, until I absolutely have to or his team is kind of no longer in real playoff contention. 
I think that's probably the the best way to to you know boil it down is don't trade him for the sake of trading him because you know you you kind of ruin any goodwill there you know other teams are going to notice that like it's just kind of a situation where you know it, again it's a very precarious situation and, and hopefully you know at the end of the day whatever PJ Tucker wants is I think what they should kind of concede to it's not the same as James Harden saying hey I want out you know and it's like well no you're the star player we need to get a good return for you unfortunately like you can't just go wherever you want like we need to get a good deal back. Whereas with PJ Tucker, you're a little bit, you know, it, it hurts a lot less if he's like, hey, I'd like to really go to one of these few teams. And you're like, okay, we'll see what we can kind of get from them. And you just kind yeah. of, you know, grit your teeth and bear it if it's not exactly the absolute best return for 35-year-old PJ Tucker, you'll be okay at the end of the day because you're you're doing right by him. And hopefully, again, other teams, other free agents pay attention to that and see that you're taking care of your players. Um we talked about, and we, we also talked about shout outs earlier. I just want to give two brief ones. It's been great to have Daniel House Jr. back. He has slotted back in incredibly, mm-hmm. um, you know, really playing like he wants his starting spot back. Um, don't know if that happens or when it happens. Um, Cause again, Jay Sean Tate's also been playing really, really well. So maybe that's a possibility where if PJ Tucker gets moved, then Daniel House is back in the starting lineup. Um, but he's been playing great. And then we did mention Eric Gordon earlier and, and just what his production has been like, you know, scoring uh, 11, 11, 20 plus point games so far this season after only doing it six times all of last season in its entirety. He has looked healthy. He's, you know, getting more opportunities now that James Harden's not here anymore. And he really looks comfortable in his role. He looks like he's having fun. Shout out fun meter EG. Um but, you know, those two guys have really, you know, again, being kind of the the old guard of this team, they've embraced the new identity of the team, I feel like. And it's it's great to see them, you know, not, I guess, pouting or not being upset about their situation and just kind of making the best of what was a pretty rocky start to the season. And now, you know, I'm assuming that locker room has to be a lot more fun to be a part of. It really, no meme intended. But, like, it's got to be a much more enjoyable experience now that they've kind of gotten rid of, uh, quote-unquote, the people who didn't want to be here type thing so <laughs> the funny part about that is how he always says people and it's like very clearly one person um <laughs> but but yeah no I, I i totally agree and you know i think just every everyone here i mean outside of wood and tate and and and, and brown are, are a stat like they've been in the nba for a while and i think they appreciate and also appreciate the team but also appreciate how kind of rare it must be to have everyone on the same page kind of building something together and actually be pretty good um and and so you know they're all pretty competitive from what i can tell i think you know eric this helps him i mean it's pretty win-win for him in-house right they both get opportunities they both get to kind of like rebuild their broader value and and contribute to a team they actually like being with so um happy for them and i can't yeah exactly i mean eric's had a great season and, and glad to see that house is back and making music music videos on the side and he's having fun too so it's lit <laughs> i had to, had to <laughs> squeeze one of those in there all right man kp really appreciate you taking the time to come talk rockets hoops uh go ahead and let everybody know where they can follow you at yeah absolutely um i think most of you know but you can follow me at at stanford kp on twitter and uh also at, at clutch city cr and, and some of the pods and, and things we do there so uh really appreciate it jackson and um have a great weekend go 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 rockets tonight Absolutely. Taking on the Spurs this evening will be a fun game. Now, for this episode of Locked on Rockets, that's going to do it. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.